Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to the worship team, and thanks to the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Can you shout the rest? We will rejoice. We have the opportunity to rejoice. Think of the word rejoice. Re-joy. Some people get joy now and again, but we get to redo our joy every single day because the Lord is with us. And the whole, the whole thing about being a Christian is not just, I have put my trust in Christ, and when I die, I will go to heaven, but I'm still kind of struggling through here life on my own. No, God is not just going to be there for us when we die. He's here for us right now. He is with us. He is our guide. He is our shepherd. He leads us and He guides us. And one of, the, one of the things that many Christians don't really seem to get is that very often we separate our salvation, our faith in Christ as our Savior, from our everyday life. So instead of rejoicing each day, we grumble and we complain because we're unhappy with this or that or the next thing, and we're looking forward to the day by and by when we'll die and go on high and be with the Lord, and we think that that will be great, but this isn't good. And what we don't understand is that God is not just the God of heaven, He is the God of heaven and earth. And that's what we're, we're going to begin to look at in this message series that we are starting today. It's called Kingdom People. Everyone shout, Kingdom People. Kingdom people. <clears throat> Yes, it is true that we are Jesus' people. We are people who are followers of Jesus. The whole word Christian means one who belongs to Christ. So we are Christ's people. We are Jesus' people. And I think most Christians get that, that if you're a Christian, you're a Jesus person. You have put your faith, not in yourself, but in Jesus to be your Savior. Your trust is in Him. As far as knowing that your sins are forgiven, you've received the gift of everlasting life, you have peace with God, and heaven is your eternal destiny, we know that we are Jesus' people. We even know that in this life, we're supposed to be Jesus' people. Do you all remember a couple of decades ago, people wore little bracelets that said WWJD? Does anybody remember? Did anybody have one of those things? I never did either. They were pretty cheesy, you know. But anyway, if it helped you, it helped you. They were, they were saying WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? So that if you were ever in a situation and you were going to react or punch someone in the face or something like that, you would see your bracelet and think, what would Jesus do, right? So we know we have to be followers of Jesus. We know that we're Jesus people. But church, we are called to also be kingdom people. We are the citizens of God's kingdom. Now, when I became a Christian many moons ago, uh, it w at that time, lots of people were teaching about the kingdom of God. There, was there were lots of books about the kingdom of God. There were lots of worship songs about the kingdom of God. So when I became a Christian, I not only understood 
the, the part of the gospel that is about our salvation, but I was also really, really taught what Jesus called the gospel of the kingdom. We found out about the kingdom of God, and understanding what the kingdom of God was really helped set my faith on a solid foundation. But what I find is very, very common today in the Christian church is lots of people know about Jesus. They've put their faith in Jesus. God's their best buddy. They're going through life trusting the Lord. But that's only when it comes to their salvation, their prayers getting answered, their personal relationship with God. But when it comes to any other topic, many Christians think exactly the way that the secular world thinks and share their values with the secular world and don't actually know that there are kingdom values. There are values, there are things which are values in God's kingdom. And when we come to Christ, we don't just get our sins forgiven, we are translated out of the world and into the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the king. And there's a whole new way of living in that kingdom that is different from before we were in that kingdom. I want to show you uh, the importance of the kingdom here. I want to go to, first of all, to the book of Psalms. We're talking today about the advancing kingdom. We're going to see that God's kingdom, whether it's in your life, in your family, in this church, in this city, in the world, that God's kingdom starts small, but it advances stage by stage and step by step. So let's have a look at this. These, you could take a photo of that if you want, because th this is a bunch of verses that I've put together. And so you can see that for yourself. I'm just going to read them. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. We know that. God's throne is in heaven. But look at this. And shout out the next two words. And His kingdom rules over all. God's kingdom is the ultimate thing. Of course, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Is anybody sinning in heaven? It's not a trick question. Is anyone sinning in heaven? Is anyone sick and tired in heaven? Is anyone going about with a bad limp in heaven? Are husbands and wives having domestic arguments in heaven? Is anyone broke in heaven? Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, in my life, in my family, in my church, in my city, in my nation. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that the way God, uh, God's culture in heaven, we are supposed to bring it to earth? We are supposed to begin, it's supposed to advance into our lives. Or look at this from the book of Isaiah. We read this every Christmas, but think about it. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end 
on the throne of, uh, of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness for, from this time forth and forevermore. Do you remember that verse starts with, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You know, God's kingdom came in the form of one tiny little baby. And then that baby grew into a man and gathered 12 disciples around him. And then another 72 disciples around him. And then thousands of people that followed him. And his kingdom, even after he died and rose from the dead and returned to heaven, book of Acts, 3,000 people came to Christ. Next chapter, 5,000 people came to Christ. And then it spread from the Middle East all through the Roman Empire. And then it spread all through the world of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. God's kingdom will continue to advance. Every government or ideology in history that has ever tried to stop the church is now gone for good. And the church of Jesus Christ is still here and is bigger than ever before because of the increase of his kingdom. It won't end. It will, well, what happens when everyone on planet earth is saved? We'll go to Jupiter and get those aliens saved. We will continue to increase. The kingdom will continue. Look, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. By the way, sometimes you hear people talking about God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, but nowhere in the Bible does Satan have a kingdom. There only is one kingdom, and there only is one king, and his name is Jesus. Satan has a little dominion, but not a kingdom okay? It has a dominion, but not a kingdom. It's just a small little enclave that he still has. But God's kingdom rules over all. And once we were in the dominion of darkness, but when you gave your life to Christ, you didn't just get your sins forgiven. Look what happened. He delivered you out of the dominion of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So it wasn't just a change went on in the condition of your heart, but a change went on in your spiritual citizenship. You have changed sides, okay? You've changed sides. You've left one, you, you saw the light, you saw you were on the wrong side, the dominion of darkness, everything in your life was being influenced by darkness, but God delivered you out of that and put you into a new realm. Not just a change on the inside, but a whole change of life. And you're now beginning to learn the customs of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom. You know, um, in, the, in the book of Daniel, there's a famous story about a king called King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was a pagan king, and he had this dream one night, and he didn't know what to do about this dream. So he, Daniel comes, the prophet Daniel, comes and interprets 
King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he says to the king, what is the dream that you've had? And he said, I saw this big statue, a giant statue of a man, and its head was made of gold, and its arms and chest were made of silver, and its waist was made of bronze, and its legs were made of iron. But when it got down into its feet, the iron was mixed with clay. It, iron and clay don't mix properly. It, it was an unstable structure. Then I saw this little tiny stone, and the stone fell out of heaven, and it hit the statue in the feet, and it made the feet crumble, and the statue fell over and broke into dust. And then a great wind came and blew all that dust away, and then that little stone grew bigger and bigger and bigger until it became a mountain that filled the whole earth. What does it mean? And God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream. And he said, your dream is about different kingdoms that will come, four of which will come and go, but one which will come and last forever. He said, your kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, is the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will come. It will take over your kingdom, and it will be the chest and arms of silver. That will be the Medo-Persian kingdom. The Medes and the Persians joined together and defeated Babylon. That's why it's two arms in the statue. The Medes and the Persians. After you will come the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then after you will come the Greek kingdom, led by Alexander the Great, which is the bronze. They, they, bronze was a big thing with them. Bronze weapons, bronze chariots. But they will come and go. And after them, the iron legs will come. The Roman army was known as the iron army. Iron is always used as a symbol of the Roman Empire in the Bible. And the reason it's two legs is because the Roman Empire had an eastern side and a western side, made of legs. But the clay and iron didn't mix. The Romans tried to get all the cultures that they conquered to mix with them. The Romans were the first people to try and get every human being in their society to think the same way, dress the same way, look the same way, have the same opinions about everything. They, they didn't succeed in doing it because they didn't have Facebook, okay? So, because of that, the people didn't mix very well, and the, the, the Roman Empire was divided into ten areas with ten rulers. It's the ten toes of the Roman kingdom, and then Daniel says, in the days of those kings, not the Babylonian kings, not the Medo-Persian kings, not the Greek kings, but the Roman kings, the Caesars, in the days of those kings, the Lord will himself will set up a kingdom. It will start like a little tiny stone, but every other kingdom will fall because God's kingdom will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. It's an advancing kingdom. It will grow till it fills the entire earth in the days of the Roman Empire. And what happened in the days of Caesar Augustus, a census went out. And what happened in the little town of Bethlehem? A tiny little pebble, a tiny little baby, one little seed was sown into this world. One Son of God came, and the only begotten Son of God came, and He lived and died and rose again so that God can have many sons and daughters now who are part of His kingdom. 
God's kingdom is an advancing kingdom. Every country that has made Christianity illegal has fallen. There's still a couple, there's still a few around that have made Christianity, they will fall too. And the gospel will prevail until, or until the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's at the end of the book of Revelation. God's kingdom wins church. And so, and you know how sometimes people say, well, I think you might, I think you might be on the wrong side of history. Have you ever heard somebody saying that? It was politicians that came up with that. Have you ever heard that? On the wrong side of Never once in my life have I worried about whether or not I was on the right or the wrong side of history. The only thing I'm concerned about is, am I on the right side of God? Because history is His story. He is the king of history, and I want to be a part of God's kingdom and be on the right side of God. Look what Jesus said, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel. It said, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Well, what is the good news of God? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Or what about this verse? I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Once being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. I want you to see that the kingdom of God can be within you, it can be among you, it can come near to you, all kinds of things that the Scriptures, the scriptures explain, and Jesus did most of his teaching in parables. And most of his parables start off like this. The kingdom of God is like such and such a thing. Like, read the Gospels. Jesus was obsessed with the topic of the kingdom of God that we tend to know so little about. Let me tell you about two parables Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Um, it's the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven or yeast. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. It's one of the smallest seeds that you can get. But when you plant it, it grows into one of the largest shrubs. And then the birds of the air come and make their nests in it. Jesus is saying that God's kingdom is an advancing kingdom. It's a growing kingdom. It starts off small, but it grows and grows and grows. What it becomes, you would never believe it had that potential looking at the seed. But it grows into this tree, 
This tree that then other people are attracted to. They want to come and make their nest in God's kingdom. Hey, if you're a guest here today, if you're just checking us out, if you're looking for a church home, I want to tell you, this church, we want to be kingdom people. We want to be people of the kingdom. We want our lives to grow and flourish. We want our church to grow and flourish. Come and make a nest in this tree. You will find shelter because we are looking to the king. And so the kingdom is growing like a mustard seed. Or he said, it's like a little bit of yeast. There was a woman making dough and she's kneading all the dough and she's got a big lump of dough. But she takes a tiny bit of yeast and she kneads it through the dough and eventually the yeast spreads through the entire batch of dough because yeast, like mustard seeds, are a living thing, and they spread through the batch of dough until the whole batch is leavened. And Jesus was saying, God's kingdom is like that. It's a living thing. You plant God's kingdom in your heart. You invite Christ into your life and plant God's kingdom in your heart. You know, God will accept you just the way you are. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care how messed up your background is. I don't care all kinds of wacko beliefs that you have. God will accept you just the way you are. As long as you realize that he will not leave you just the way you are. He will change you, okay? You plant a bit of love. I mean, you're, you're, like, you're like the Pillsbury Doughboy, right? And the kingdom of God's like a little bit of yeast that's been planted in you. It will work its way through you. You will get full of pockets of air. You will get full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, full of the kingdom of God as you allow that to grow inside you. You take a little bit of the kingdom and you plant it in a community or you plant a church in a city that's never had a church before, eventually it will grow. It will, listen, do you want to know what the real pandemic is? It's us. We're infectious with faith for Jesus and we should be infecting people everywhere we go with the love of God and with the gospel of the kingdom. It will spread. The whole community will get infected sooner or later. And so that is what the kingdom is like. It's a growing kingdom. It's an advancing kingdom. It, it is among us. And so here's another two parables that Jesus used. Jesus said, the king, Jesus said that his people are to be like salt and light. We have to be like salt and light. And this is what he said. You are the salt of the earth. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Now, this shows us two different aspects of the kingdom. And this is what I want you to really get today. I want you to really get this. There are, we, have, we have two sides to the coin here. Right, salt. You are the salt of the world. So, so what does that mean, the salt of the earth? So, salt, we use it to flavor food. Back in Jesus' day, they also used it to flavor food. But they used it for something else. 
they didn't have refrigerators. They would have a salt bucket, and they would put meat in the salt bucket and cover it with salt to preserve the meat to stop it from decaying. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, so um, what he's saying is part of our kingdom thing is we are supposed to be involved with the secular world. I think very often we go to two extremes. There's some people who say we shouldn't be involved in a secular world, and they go away and they set up their own little communes or their Amish farms or whatever it may be, and they follow Jesus there, but they don't have any interaction with the world. And then there's other Christians who say, well, God so loved the world, and we have to go into all the world, and, and they spend all their time, and then they forget that they're part of another kingdom, and they just be they look like people of the world, they talk like people of the world, they smell like people of the world, they think like people of the world. There's no difference anymore. Jesus said, there is a tension here, there's a balance. We, are, we believers in Jesus, are supposed to make a positive influence on the world in two ways. Number one, we're supposed to stop it decaying into moral degeneracy, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, shout amen. If you've ever been tempted to sin, shout amen. Okay, so even people with a new heart are tempted to sin, right? But people whose heart have not yet been changed, you put them into positions of power. Isn't it true that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? And so, here we are in the secular world with people whose hearts have not been made alive in all kinds of positions in society. It would just degenerate if we withdrew and all lived in a commune somewhere, and that would go bad too, I can assure you. So, um, we are supposed to be in the world, preserving it from moral decay. I don't mean like being like stuck up, I disapprove of everything. I mean get involved and be the change that you want to see. Secondly, we're supposed to be flavoring the world. The world would be very, very, well, this is what it should be like. The world would be very, very boring without Christians. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians seem to think when you come to Christ, you're supposed to have a personality bypass and become boring yourself, but that's not the case. We should be the most interesting people. We should flavor the world around us. But we're not only the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. That is us being separate from the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are separate from the world as well. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. The image there is of a traveler walking through the darkness at night and they see a light in the distance, and they make their way towards it, and it's a city that's on a hill, and it's got all its oil lamps and candles or halogen light bulbs or whatever on, and it attracts you, and you say, I want out of the darkness, and I want to be in that warm, bright, cozy city that's over there. We are calling people out of that. We are trying to make the world a better place, but while we're doing it, we are calling people out of the world system and into the kingdom of God. You know, this is the thing, this is the thing that got the early Christians into trouble. The Romans didn't care if you believed in Jesus. You could believe in Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Zeus, 
whoever you wanted. They didn't care about any of that. As long as your first allegiance was to Caesar. And the eve, when they found out that Christians said Jesus is Lord, they passed a law that, all the Christ, that everybody now had to say Caesar is Lord. And the only people who wouldn't say Caesar is Lord were the Christians, because Caesar is not our Lord. We live in the world, and there, there are Caesars in the world, and we have to deal with them. There are politicians, and they pass tax laws, and you might not agree with them, but the Bible does say we should pay our taxes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. We are in the world. Caesars are in the world. Caesar passes lots of laws in the world, but Caesar is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And if Caesar ever told you that you can't be a Christian, that you can't be a follower of Jesus, that you can't own a Bible, we, I hope you would, I would defy Caesar because Jesus and Jesus alone is my Lord. I am in Caesar's kingdom, but I am not of Caesar's kingdom. I am of another kingdom, okay? I am I'm under a different ruler. I have a different set of rules. Now, a lot of Caesar's rules and the kingdom's rules match up. If Caesar says it's wrong to murder people and break into their houses and steal, that's, I totally agree with Caesar, because God says you shall not steal, you shall not commit murder, okay? But if Caesar says you shall not pray to, you know the book of Daniel, you shall not pray to the God of Israel, I would do what Daniel did. I would open my windows wide and let everybody hear me praying to the Lord God of Israel. Because I live under God. But aren't you frightened that you might get persecuted or people might call you a hater or something like that? No, because one day I'm going to die and one day you're going to die and one day all of these people are going to die and I'm not going to give an account to those people and I'm not going to give an account to you and I'm not going to give an account to myself. I'm going to give an account to the king of the kingdom and I want to be on the king's side, the king of the kingdom. Look, I want to read one verse and then tell you a story. I want to go to, go to the First Corinthians, Paul one, please. Okay, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given. Church, if you can get it in your head that you're not just a believer of Jesus, but you're actually a citizen of a different kingdom, and you have a king over you, and that kingdom is growing, it's growing in your life, in your world, and in the world, you are part of this kingdom. And yes, you are also in the world, and you're trying to make it a better place, hopefully, but you are not of the world Kings and kingdoms rise and fall, but his throne withstands it all, okay? You are part of this kingdom. So look, once you realize that, you find out there's lots of blessings in the kingdom, loads of blessings. It's beneficial to be part of God's kingdom, okay? All the things that are freely given to us from God. In the letter I wrote to you, I told you not to associate with immoral people. Now, I did not mean pagans who are immoral or greedy or thieves, because pagans are going to pig 
and heathens are going to heathe, and sinners are going to sin, okay? This is a, sometimes Christians get in a, I'm outraged by something that has been said in secular society. Sinners are going to sin. Are, are you saying that you want to pass laws to stop? No, they can do whatever the heck they want. I'm talking about people in the kingdom. We live God's way, okay? We live God's way. And so it says, not, not pagans or who worship idols, to avoid them, you would need to get right out of the world completely, okay? What I meant was you should not associate with a person who calls himself a believer, but is immoral or greedy or worships idols or is a slanderer. There's a lot of Christian slanderers on social media, I've noticed, whole websites, or a drunkard or a thief. Don't even sit down to eat with such a person. Do you see there that God has higher standards for people of the kingdom? That we are called to live a new life, a kingdom life, a life that's under the rule of God. But when we do that, we then begin to experience all the things freely given to us by God. Let me tell you a little story about the dominion of darkness and about the kingdom of God. When I was about 17 years old, um, I, uh, I was a bit of a druggie. Not only did I use lots of drugs regularly, I sold them as well. Not kind of professionally, just I took orders and that way I got my stuff free, you know. So, um, so my parents were really worried about me. And so this is really a story of spiritual warfare that happened when even though my mother had no knowledge of spiritual warfare. So I'm this druggy person, and uh, I, I, I work as a chef, which means that I don't get home till very late at night, like midnight and things like that. Normally, my parents were in bed. And I don't know what night this was. I'm sure I was taking drugs. I did most nights of the week. So I'm in my bedroom. Imagine my bedroom's over there, and there's a wall here, and my parents' bedroom is here. And the back of their bed is against that wall. So my mother's lying in bed and she wakes up in the middle of the night. And my mother went to a traditional mainline church. They never heard about the power of the Holy Spirit. They never heard about miracles. She didn't even know there were demons, okay? And she woke up in the middle of the night and she said, crawling along the ceiling was what looked like a giant slug made out of dark smoke. And she knew it was something evil and demonic. And she was like, she got, did the whole sleep paralysis thing. You know that thing? When you're trying to say the name of Jesus and you can't move. You know that one? You know that? So she had that whole thing going on. And it crawled. And then she said it spoke to her right into her mind. She had no teaching on this. And it said, you can pray as much as you want. I've got your son. And she didn't know any prayers. She didn't know that she was part of the kingdom, that she was a, a king and a priest, an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, that she had authority in the name of Jesus. She knew not, had not been taught any of that. The only thing she knew was the Lord's prayer. And she said, 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your, and when she said your kingdom come, she felt it lost its power. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And when she got to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, boom, the thing went. Two weeks later, I was born again in a church service and I, I never was delivered from drugs, no withdrawal symptoms. A miracle happened. I was delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son because my mother prayed the Lord's Prayer and asked for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done in her family as it is in heaven. People, there are benefits to living God's way. I want, to, I want us to all stand because we're going to say the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going to say it not just like a prayer that we're saying on rote, but we're going to say it understanding that when we speak the words and when we speak them in faith, God is hearing and the whole of the cosmos is listening, and God's kingdom is going to manifest more and more in our lives. Are you ready to pray, church? Okay, I'll count to three, and then we'll start Father in heaven. One, two, three. Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Provide us with all we need each day and forgive us for our sins as we forgive others. Lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are all yours forever and ever. Let's give God a praise, church. Come on.